Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. We're going to begin today's program reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And I believe you're going to find this passage to be one of the most heart-searching passages in all of the Gospels. Now, Jesus told this parable to a certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Now, I just want to make one observation before we get into our study. The teachings of the Lord Jesus have no dateline on them. They are absolutely timeless. The same problem people had 2,000 years ago when our Lord ministered on this earth are the same problems people have today. Back then and today, the problems are no different. The same warnings the Lord Jesus gave back then because he was addressing himself to the human problem are the same warnings, the same needs, experienced today. Now, every congregation is divided into two groups. There are those who come to worship that worship like Pharisees, and there is another group in every co congregation that come to worship like publicans. Each one of us is in one of those two groups. Every congregation is divided like this, and everyone worships like one or the other. Now, I'm not going to stand at the door of a church and tell you where you belong. We're not going to go pass out slips of paper that identify you as a publican or a Pharisee. That's not what we're saying to do. But each one of us must decide for ourselves in which group we belong. And that can only be done as we investigate our own hearts. What am I going to do on this? What I'm going to do here today on this program is I'm going to hold up a couple of pictures. I'm going to hold up for the moment the picture of a Pharisee, and we'll look at that picture and decide if we look like that person. And then I'm going to hold up the picture of a publican. We're going to look at the publican and decide if we're like him. Then I'll hold up the Pharisee again and the publican again, and we'll keep looking and see if the features of the behavior the attitudes of these two worshipers tell us how it is that we will fit into these profiles. But that's something each one of us has to do for ourselves. Now, let's look at the life of the Pharisee for just a moment. It says that he comes to church. Now, what's wrong with going to church? It says he returns his tithe. Now, what could be possibly wrong with returning tithe? 
How can you find any fault with that? He prays. He came to the temple to pray. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with praying. But you see that underneath this outward coming to church and tithing and praying, right, and being active in the church, underneath all of these things, underneath these good actions, is a wrong spirit. You see, it's very difficult to see Phariseeism because it's beneath the skin. It's underneath. It's beyond the superficial. You see, when you get beneath the skin, what you begin to see is that while there is nothing wrong in going to church, nothing wrong with tithing and praying, but when you get below the superficial, what you begin to see is something that looks like Christianity. You see, because the Christian goes to church, the Christian tithes, the Christian praise. But what is really here is something that is not Christian at all. You see, it only looks like Christianity on the surface. Inwardly, the Pharisee, in his or her attitude and in their spirit, they're wrong. They're dead wrong. You see, the reason why this Pharisee comforts himself is that all of his outward actions are correct. You see, it's the wrong attitude underneath the right action that is so deplorable and so difficult to detect. Wrong attitudes are easily justified. Wrong actions are obvious. I mean, anyone can look at an action and say, hey, that's wrong. But Wrong attitudes, critical attitudes, are very difficult to detect. So those good outward actions only serve to cover up that evil spirit. So a Pharisee is a person who, in their outward behavior, is doing just fine. But inwardly, they're wrong because their spirit and their attitude are wrong. Now, as I read the record of Jesus to the Laodicean church, and you can find that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. Look at what it says. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, you cannot come away from a reading of the 17th verse of Revelation 3 without a conviction that Laodicea comforts itself that outwardly it's doing fine and then inwardly it is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So what we begin to see is that Phariseeism did not die in the first century. I believe it is the prevailing sin of the church today. And it becomes clear that Laodicea does not know and cannot accept that truth about itself. Now, every time I study this parable, I come away with a profound sense of dismay because 
you see, I recognize myself in the faces of both of these men. So the question is, which of these two do I resemble the most? So I'm going to invite you to study this parable with me and look for yourselves because no one else can do it for us. You're going to look into your heart. I'm going to look into mine. The parable invites a serious, solemn examination of our own mind and our own attitudes to analyze our own behavior. You see, the Lord is calling us to see ourselves the way we really are. So I'm going to ask you to search your heart today. Now, one of the basic facts about this story is that it all took place right in the church. These two men went to the temple to pray. That tells us a good deal. You see, the Jews would go to the temple if they were within walking distance of the temple. They would go there three times a day to pray. Now, it's, a Jew could pray anywhere. We know Jesus prayed in a garden. Jews believed they could pray anywhere, but they had this special idea based on a passage found in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, the last part, and here's what it says. My house shall be a house called a house of prayer for all people. So if a person believed in prayer, they believed that if they went and prayed in the temple, their prayer would be more effective. It's for that reason that you find the church doors have remained unlocked. Church doors were left unlocked so that people would be able to come into the church and pray. It was felt that if they could pray in the church, that that prayer, that, that cry of their heart would be much more effective. And so the fact that in this story, these men went to the temple to pray shows to me that they were both very serious. They were both in earnest. Otherwise, they would not have invested the time it takes to get to the temple. They would have not invested the shoe leather to get there. But both men are serious. They both wanted their prayers to be effective. Now, let's take a picture of these two men. Jesus said, look at these men. You see their attitudes towards themselves. Look at what their attitudes are. Both men stood apart from the crowd. Now, they stood apart for the, from the crowd for different reasons, however. The Pharisee stood apart from the crowd because he felt better. I am better than most of these people in this group, so there's no way I'm going to stand with them. Now, the publican... He felt he was not worthy to stand with the group because they were better than he was. When a person isolates themselves or stands apart because of their attitude or because of their behavior, stands apart from the, the body of God's people, there's something very wrong. You see, when Jesus came, even though there was something seriously wrong happening down at the temple, he knew how bad it was. But do you know what Jesus did? He never boycotted church attendance. He always went to the temple. 
Jesus mingled with men as one who desired their good. Now, you're going to find within the church, listen, you're going to find those people that are not doing right. We have to remember, the church is not a rest home for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. Listen, we don't come to church any more than we would go to the hospital, right? We come because, not because we're well. We come because we're not well. We come because we are sick. We come to church because we want help. And the church is the place where we get help. Friends, do not expect perfection in people. Your expectation of perfection has to be in the message of God. Because we all come to church because we want to be helped. We come not because we're strong. We come because we need strengthening. Now let's talk about our two men. In some ways, these two men are very much alike. They are alike in as much as, number one, they both believed in God. Number two, their commitment to God was not a cheap commitment. Now what do I mean by a cheap commitment? So at least they came to church. You ask someone, you know, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, they replied. You say, well, do you go to church? And all of a sudden they get this sheepish grin, you know, well, not really. I mean, I really can't think of the last time I went to church. Well, that's kind of a cheap commitment. But these men, both of them had made a commitment that was at least deep enough that they would go to church. They went to church. Their belief took them to church. Their belief was at least that strong. So they were alike in that respect. And number three, the third way they were alike was they both believed in prayer. Now, because of this, I conclude that this parable was not written for the world at large. But rather, this parable was written for people who believe in God, go to church, and believe in prayer. Who were these men? Well, let's look at our Pharisee. You come away from a reading of the Bible with the idea that there was a Pharisee on every corner. When, as a matter of fact, of all of the corporate body of the Jewish people, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees. They were a very exclusive group because they were so exclusive and because they were so small, it was inevitable that these men would become proud. You know, look at me, the thumbs and the lapels. You know, we were, we were proud. We, they became very arrogant. They had disdain of other people. How did you get to become a Pharisee? Well, it was a very great responsibility. It wasn't an honor that was bestowed upon a selected few. It was a responsibility that they accepted, that they would be faithful to all of the laws of God and all of the laws as interpreted by the scribes. It was a very solemn responsibility. No one entered the sect of the Pharisees lightly. And as a result of that fact, a fact that a man would consecrate himself to that degree, he was a highly respected man. Everybody would look up to the Pharisees. They had the confidence of everybody. Everybody felt 
that as long as their religion was in the capable hands of the Pharisees, then everything was going to be all right. This was so dedicated. This man had such a... De- his, his religion touched, you'll see, both his pocketbook and his stomach. I fast twice a week. Let me tell you something. When a man's religion touches their pocketbook and their stomach, you have a very serious religion. You see, at least to the Pharisee, God was real. Here was a very dedicated man. He was fanatical in his desire to serve God. A Pharisee was a very serious person. Now let's look at our publican. Who were the publicans anyway? Well, the word publican has within it the word public. The publican was a Jew who was in the employment of the Roman government. He was a public servant. Right? Today we would say he belongs in the civil service, the public service. Now, how do the people among the Jews look at the publicans? For a Jew to hire himself out in the service of the pagans was just as low as it was possible for a man to go. He had betrayed his own people for a fast dollar. Let me tell you how the taxes were collected because the publicans were tax collectors. Every district was required to produce a certain amount of revenue. As soon as that quota was reached, everything above that quota would go into the hands of the tax collector. So, a publican was a man who really turned on the pressure. You see, if he himself was going to get a salary, he had to get the quota out of the way. Because once that was out of the way, well, now it was smooth sailing. And as a result, he would really turn up the pressure on his own people. And as a result, his own people had no use for him. They did not respect him. The thing that, the thing with a publican was not what, this fellow was tough, ambitious, without scruples. He had no morals. He had no principles. He was everything the Pharisee said he was. Now, how can we compare these two men? The publican exerted a corrupting influence upon his own people while the Pharisee worked nonstop, day and night, tirelessly to uphold the holy traditions of his faith. Now, from here on in is where the heart searching begins to take place. Now, look, let's look at the story again. The Pharisee prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I receive. I, his prayer is full of I. The Pharisee had a great deal of confidence in himself. That much is obvious. He says, I thank you that I don't do these terrible things like they're doing. He wasn't an adulterer. Outwardly, his life was morally straight. His life was free of lust and greed. Outwardly, this Pharisee was a very pious man. Outwardly, he was a man to be respected, extremely conscientious. 
But look at the prayer again. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. You notice that in his prayer, the Pharisee thanked God that he was such a good man. But did you notice something? He never asked for anything. He had no feeling of his own needs. He made no requests. There was no feeling of his own personal guilt. No requests. He didn't pray for anyone. He just thanked God that he was such a good person. He was totally self-sufficient. Now, what kind of prayer is that? <clears throat> now, let me make this comment about this prayer. Now, outwardly, there was this extremely good man. Let me tell you something. It is one of the fatal traps of the human mind to believe that just because we do not commit any scandalous sin, that because our lives are free of scandalous sins, we are surely glory-bound. Remember, the Pharisee had no scandal in his life, but he was not glory-bound. It is easy for us to trust in our outward righteousness. You see, being free of gross sins does not qualify us for the kingdom at all. That's not the test. It's good. Nothing wrong with it. But it can sometimes turn into a trap, become a false assurance. Well, let's quickly look at the publican's prayer, his attitude. He stood alone. He had a deep sense of his own guilt. He did not feel good enough to associate with these good people. He had a very simple prayer. And in that prayer, he shut out everyone but himself and God. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His only desire was for peace and pardon. And it shows how deeply concerned he was about his own needs. He smote himself upon his breast. He was concerned about his own failures. Let's quickly look again at the attitude of the publican. He felt ashamed of himself. He was unworthy. In his sight, all of the other people were better than he was, not worse. They were all better. So his prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, we're going to the most important part of the parable. It concerns itself with the consciousness of sin or the awareness of something being wrong. The Pharisee came and he prayed and he compared himself to other sinners and this made him feel pretty good about himself. That's kind of, that's a form of self-exaltation. This is important. You see, the Pharisee takes delight in being able to see the sins of the other person. He meditates upon the wrongdoings of other people. He doesn't think too much about his own sins or his own shortcomings. The man that can say, you know, can come and say, Lord, it's my shortcomings that bother me. That's the kind of attitude that will lead us into the kingdom of heaven. Our own shortcomings, our own failures, not somebody else's. He didn't compare himself with other sinners. He compared himself to God. You see, Comparing ourselves to the Lord Jesus makes us confess our sins. 
Comparing ourselves to other people makes us feel good about ourselves. It's a tragedy when people waste their lives and all of their talents seeking out and pointing critically the mistakes of someone else. Salvation is in humility. It is looking into ourselves with downcast eyes, confessing our own sins. So as we conclude this parable, it tells us the story of a tragedy of people that trusted in themselves. They didn't need a savior. That's why they crucified him. Do you know something? You know that God, God can save an adulterer. He can save a thief. He can save an extortionist. He can save a no good individual easier than he can save a Pharisee. Because a Pharisee does not feel their own needs. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, bring to each and every one of us an awareness of our own sins, our own shortcomings, and may that draw us to the foot of the cross and implore for your mercy and your forgiveness in the lives of each and every one of us. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time on our program where we have a special offer. Each program, we like to make a resource available to you, our viewers, as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. Today we have, I don't know, I guess we call this a little tract. It's called uh, Jesus for You, the Light of God Shines. We'd love to send you this, as I said, as a gift, no obligation whatsoever on your part. It'll arrive in your home postage paid. If you'd like to request this little tract, pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for watching. Just before we go, a couple of things I want to remind you of. Uh, number one, our website, l4ltv.com. All of our previous programs are accessible through the website. Hey, check that out. Instagram, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, Santos underscore Bill. Uh, like our Facebook page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. An audio version of the program will be available through SoundCloud in about 30 minutes from the end of the program. And so check all of those things out if you would. Before we go, very quickly, we have the humanitarian side of our ministry called Mission Now Canada. 
If you're interested in joining us on a mission trip or participating by donating or making materials available, check out our website, missionnowcanada.com. I want to thank you so much for watching. And if you would be so kind as to invite your friends and family to tune in next time, that would be really appreciated by us here. God bless you. We hope to be able to get this chance very soon. We'll see you then. Thank you.